thrilled to be here. Thank you. And uh, Pastor Glenn, thanks for your pulpit. Uh, I know it's hard to give it up, but uh, I really appreciate the time. It's uh, Orphan Sunday. And also, uh, let's call it Widow Sunday too, okay? I like uh, the verse you quoted was, I think, uh, James 1.27, isn't it? Um, the man of true religion is the one that takes care of orphans and widows. Um, that's, that's really a good defining principle. If you love people, you ought to be able to love widows and orphans. And uh, I learned that in my ministry. And I learned it really young. When I first became a Christian uh, 38 years ago, I was playing basketball and I was doing really well. I was actually leading the nation in scoring, so I was getting a lot of attention in the papers and everything. But one of my problems was my temper. I was not a Christian at the time, and I, but my coach had been trying to lead me to Christ. And finally, after years of fighting it, I realized that my need for Christ, and I gave my life to Christ in the basement of his home on, on January 7th. And on January 7th that evening, we had a game against Trinity College up in Deerfield, Illinois. And so we got all in the car and we went up there. And on the way up there, I was feeling really bad because I've been to Trinity. This would be my fourth time, fourth year. You know, you go home and away. And all three years at Trinity, I got kicked out of the game. And that's supposed to be funny. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, at least it's funny now, I hope. But yeah, because I, I had a, I was cursed at the referee or I got in a fight with a player. But three times... Three places, Trinity, I got thrown out. So I'm going up there now, and I'm just a brand new believer, and I'm so excited I can't think of anything else but Christ and what I'm going to do. And we have this game, so we come out to half court, and I'm the captain of our team, and the other player comes out, uh, William, and William uh, was their captain too. And I'd played against him for four years. And I said, how you doing? He said, good. And the referee said this and that, and he looked up and he ignored the referee. He said, Tom, can I ask you something? I said, Yeah. He said, is it true that you came to Christ today? I said, it is true. How did you know that? I mean, that's two, three hours drive from where our university is. He said, oh, we've been praying for you for a long time here. (laughs) And he said, welcome to the family of God. And I'll never forget, I got goosebumps all up my arm. I didn't get thrown out of the game, and we even won the game. It was a good night. (laughs) But the change that happened for me was realizing that I suddenly plugged into a family. It says in John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born out of, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. They all get to become children of God. So then, in my mind, wherever I went, if it was another Christian, you're in the same family as I am. We have the same Citizenship, if you want to call it. And so, uh, when I went to the Philippines, the thing on my mind was always, how many more people can we win into this kingdom? Uh, they asked me to name my subject for today, and I said, uh, call it God's immigration law. We're having lots of things over immigration laws and bills and fights and things in, in politics. And I just came up with this yesterday. I thought of it. It is so true. But God's immigration law for me is John one twelve. It's Ephesians. We are no longer foreigners, but we are citizens of heaven when we come to know Christ as our Savior. God's immigration law crosses every border. He can go to every people. And that's what I love about missions. And he really loves orphans and widows. 
And I'll give you an example. I was playing professionally in the Philippines on a team, and we had to play down in Cebu. And so we went in a big stadium, and it was packed that night, and they had asked me to do my halftime show. And some of you know, some of you don't. I do a halftime unicycle juggling show, and I ride people on my shoulders. It helps supplement what I made in basketball for our orphans in the Philippines that we have, our orphanages. Anyway, I'm walking up to the front of the stadium with my bag and stuff to go to the locker room, and I noticed there's a line of kids, and I just, I don't know why, they came to my eye, and I said, I wonder what they're doing. And, and they were kind of moving their fingers around, and there was one lady there watching after them. I went up, I said, ma'am, um, my name's Tom Randall. She says, oh, you're playing tonight. I said, yes, and you are. She said, I'm Margaret. Uh, I run the orphanage here. I said, these are all orphans. She said, yes. I said, they're the quietest bunch I've ever seen. What a well-behaved group. She said, well, Tom, they're deaf and dumb. They don't speak. I said, well, that make them pretty quiet. Yeah. So I said, well, are you going in? She said, we want to go in, but there's no tickets left. I said, really? So I went up to the ticket counter, and I said to them, I'd like these folks to go in. They're my guests. There's 31 of them. I mean, 29 of them, you know. He said, Tom, we're sold out. He said, but we're looking forward to your halftime show. And I said, you know, there might not be a halftime show if I can't get these 29 kids in here. And so he ran to the boss, and the boss ran to the boss, and suddenly he was down there. And I said, boss, I just need 29 seats. I'm not charging you for the halftime. I'll give you the halftime for free. You let them all in. But I'm not sure I can get on that bike if I can't get these 29 in. Then that's terrible. But when it's orphans. And so he said... Okay, and you know where they got them? They were on the front row. They sat on the front. So the whole game was hilarious. Every time I met a basket, they were going. <laughs> and I'd come by and get high fives. And I thought to myself, when you can do something for orphans or widows, you're doing the right thing. It made me feel so good. It, it, it makes you feel good just that you help somebody in the right way. Not only that it's an order from Scripture, it's a command of Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 2 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's family or household. That's clear enough, isn't it? When you become a Christian, you're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer not a citizen. But where's our citizenship? It's in heaven. So that's why I've been to 42 countries. When I go to all of them, I don't look at them, how many different people I'm dealing with. I'm looking at the people that are going to be the same in Christ as me because we'll have the same citizenship. Now, um, at our place, we started years ago, and people said, how did you start your orphanage, Tom? And I said, it was really strange. I was, I was out speaking, and they asked me to go to an orphanage and do my halftime show and share Christ. This young Filipino couple who loved the Lord. I said, oh, okay, I'll do that. So I went in, and then here was this orphanage, and it was just cement floor, a pretty beat-up building. Uh, I don't even want to tell you about the facilities where they used for bathrooms and showers. It was really, there was a hose. There wasn't any shower or anything. It was just really simple. And the kids didn't have any clothes on. They were sleeping on the bare cement. And I thought, you couldn't get any simpler than that. You know, in our country, we'd call that abuse, wouldn't we? And so I looked at it and I said, where does the money come to fund these things? And I, I did all the investigations where it comes from senators and congressmen and politicians who have pork barrel projects who apply them for the government. And the government says, okay, if you have an orphanage, we'll give you this money. Then they have the orphanage, but they only put just enough money into the orphanage to keep it running so that the rest of it goes into their pocket or they use it. Now, there's a lot of scripture that tells us, don't you dare exploit 
orphans and widows. In fact, Exodus 22, 22, I think, is pretty explicit on this. But I saw what was happening, so I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I shared with the kids. I wrote them on my shoulders. Then I said, I, I'm going to donate mattresses for every child in here so they have their own mattress and a shirt and shorts. So I did. And two weeks later, I went off. You know, they didn't think I was coming back. But I looped around the country, and as I came back, I said, I'm going to go back to that city. And I had my driver take me through there, and I visited the orphanage again. And there was no beds, and there was no clothes. And I asked the kids, where'd your clothes go to? Hanap Nashia, they took them. And what happens is the people who were even hired to run the place don't hang around, and then they take the things, they take them home and use them or sell them. So everybody's kind of using and exploiting. And it got me so upset. Now, sometimes we make decisions when we're upset and we're not supposed to, you know? But I think God can even deal with that because immediately I said, I'll stop my own orphanage. And I don't know, and I don't even have kids of my own. We can't have kids. I don't even know how to take care of kids. But at the moment, the verse that my quiet time was that morning when I got up was James 1.27. Glenn. The true righteous man takes care of widows and orphans. And then I go see that. The next direct thing I could do was start an orphanage. So I went to this Filipino couple. I said, would you start this orphanage with me? They said, well, we're in. I said, that was pretty quick. They said, oh, we knew you were going to do something. We just wanted to do it with you, whatever you need from us. I said, well, just help me work with the kids and get the kids in first, but we need some land first and to build. And they said, oh, no, we don't need land. I said, what do you mean? They said, we're very poor Filipinos, but we have our land that we've been given to us through generations. You can have our land. We'll live on there with you, and, we'll take, and that's where we started our orphanage. <laughs> and the same day, now get this, this is how God works when you do something the scripture asks you to do and it's going the right way this is where God steps in and so you don't get the credit for it God does, you realize he's done something special I get an email and this is when emails just started in the states there was no cell phones at that time but there was this, the email, I don't know if you remember that coming in, it changed everything we could communicate from America to the Philippines now instead of $52 one minute phone calls and so here comes an email from my wife. And I'm sitting with this couple at lunch, and I'm reading the email. They just give me off a computer and says, Dear Tom, uh, wait, can't wait for you to come home. But something interesting happened. Jim Sankey, this fellow in North Carolina, had a dream. And his dream was that he was making money, and he wanted to use some of it for the Lord. And the Lord put on his heart in this dream to give it to some orphans or some kids that needed help. And so she said, he heard you and had come to Christ at one of your church meetings. And so he knows you're a basketball player and he knows you're in the Philippines. But he was asking if you could find somewhere to give some money to kids. Yeah, I'm glad you're out there. That's not hard to connect, is it? That's on that connect that the Lord put that together like that. And I said, and then it said, by the way, he just wired $10,000 to an account in the Philippines for you to get started on it. Whatever you need. So... I wrote it back right away and told him, here's what happened. Well, they were back in the States. He was thrilled because he realized God had communicated to him in this wonderful way. And he had acted on it because of the verse he had been reading. First, uh, James 1.27. Take care of widows and orphans. So that's how we started the place. And so we started having kids come in. And Karen came over and we started taking care of the kids. Now, here's we had a problem, though. The kids would come in and then... Somebody would come and want them back. 
because all of our kids are at-risk kids. They're kids that they lost their parents in an earthquake, like what just happened, or in a typhoon, or a tidal wave, or some tragedy. And so they don't have their family, and then they were kind of just left. Nobody took care of them. Well, we had, we had a group of them at the house, and then this young lady comes to the door. Young lady, she's about eight. She comes to the door, and she's got sores all around her wrist. And I said, what happened to you? And she was real quiet, and she looked kind of disheveled, and she'd been on the street. I, was, I said, come on. So we brought her in. I had the girls deworm her and delice her and clean her up, and we had dinner. And she stayed a couple days and started looking better. And then she asked me, Kuyatam, can I stay here? I said, yeah, you can stay here. And then she said, but I need one favor. I said, sure, what's that? I need to go away for one more day, and I'll be back, and I never want to leave again. Well, some of my staff said, Tom, that's not a good idea. We can't just have the kids going out in the street for a day. And I prayed about it, and I said, listen, she came from the street. You know, she's going to run away anyway if we don't probably let her do what she wants to do. I told her, you go away, and you come back in a day. And she did. And the next day she came back, and she had her six-year-old sister with her. And she had the same sores around her wrist that were from handcuffs, from being handcuffed to a bed by a policeman that was their father. Tough, isn't it? I, I don't want to be too graphic, but you imagine how I felt when I knew the whole story. So we cleaned them both up. They never left each other's side. But I knew that policeman would show up soon, the father. And sure enough, he did one day. Luckily, I had the gate locked that day. He couldn't get in. But he pulled out his gun, and we'd be, we got a gate between us, but that doesn't help with bullets, does it? And I said, uh, I'm not going to give you your kids back. He said, yes, you are. They're my kids. I said, no, you've been abusing those kids. They don't, they're hiding right now from you. They don't want anything to do with you. He said, I can legally take those kids. I said, well, then you legally take them. So he went and got the mayor and the police chief and came back. And he said, Tom, legally, you do have to give them the kids. I said, won't do it. They said, Tom, please, don't make this hard. He's the father. They said, we can file a case. And I said, by the time we file a case, these kids, who knows what's going to happen to if they go back with him. I said, well, I want to file the case now. But I looked at the father and I said, 5,000. And he looked at me and he said, 6,000. And I said, no, 5,000. And when I turn my back, it's over. And I'm going to fight you. I'm not going to give him even today if we have to make this a big... Okay, okay, 5,000. So I gave him 5,000 pesos, which was about $250 each. Wrote out a receipt. He signed it. The mayor signed it. The police chief signed it. And then I went to the public office and I adopted him. You know, these kids love to tell their story. They said, our debt was paid twice. Once by Uncle Tom and once by God. Because they became Christians. And both of them, they stay side by side to this day. And one of them just got capped as a nurse. And the other one's finishing up her uh, university education. And they are doing so well. And I look at them now, I go, was it worth it to invest in these orphans? Not only them, but all the others I've had. Here's what happened. We got busy. We got busy and we realized we could do a little bit more. Now, my wife and I, we admit we got carried away. So soon we had 31 that we adopted. (laughs) And and became 52. And just last week, we got the 53rd. Jane, I haven't even met her yet. She's 13. I get to meet her in December when I go to the Philippines in a month month and a half. I can't stop because I keep thinking God said it. 
you do it, and the rewards are so fantastic. Now, let me tell you, it is a pain to have orphans. I'm not going to, you think it's hard having your own children. It's not any easier having orphans. But the blessing is fantastic. It is. The responsibility is heavy, but the blessing to see them grow. I'm one of my kids, my youngest is uh, nine, my oldest is 29, canonized. The 29 is just now becoming a surgeon. Yeah, just came to us, <laughs> nothing, four years old. Now he's a surgeon. It's really fantastic. You know what he does? He comes back and takes care of the kids at our orphanage with medical clinics, to sends money back to the, and that's his home still. He comes back, that's home. Now, but this one little guy I want to tell you about, this happened just a year and a half, almost two years ago. He was sleeping between the, the grocery store windows and the iron gates. You know, there's about a foot and a half space in there between your security gates and the glass windows of the grocery. And the man there was kind enough to let him sleep there at night for security. And then in the morning, he'd open it up and off. Um, he would go, Ben, they called him Ben, and he would go and he'd look for food and everything all day and just move around he'd come back there at night. And the missionary lady that I know, an Australian missionary lady, I've known her for 30 years, she's about to retire from the mission field, and she met this Ben and called me. She says, Tom, you've got to take this Ben in. I go, you take him in. She said, Tom, I'm retiring. I'm going back to Australia. I cannot take him. But you've had this kid, I'm telling you, it's special. God wants you to take him. It's funny how God always tells people what they want me to do. I, I... <laughs> but you know, in this case, she was right. So I prayed about it. I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. He became number 52. I said, what we'll do is you send him down to the orphanage, and if the kids like him and he thinks he wants to stay, he'll stay. But we won't force him. So I did some history checking and everything. Well, turns out his name wasn't Ben. His name was John Paul. He only spoke Bicolano. Nobody at our place speaks Bicolano. There's, there's over 100 dialects in the Philippines. I speak about the four most popular ones. But you can see with those subtribal ones, another small, you think it's a problem to understand everyone. So he shows up. He can't understand a word of us, and we can't understand a word of him. Now, I'm not there at the time. So I'm calling back and forth. And they're telling me, oh, Tom, we got to keep this kid. I said, really? Is he okay? Yeah. I said, isn't it kind of traumatic for him? He rides 13 hours on a bus with a little piece of paper on his name for Tom Randall. And they deliver him to our orphanage. They deworm and they de-lice him. And wouldn't you be freaked out if you were like eight years old and that happened to you? And you couldn't speak the language? I said, how's he dealing with that? Well, he's learning Tagalog as quick as he can. And so far, what he's told us, and what we use from just hand language and stuff is he gets three meals a day, he sleeps in his own bed, and he also has 51 brothers and sisters he never dreamed he was going to have. The family of God is a wonderful thing. And for us that are already in the family of God, the next step is to find the next person who is. They might not be an orphan originally, or in, in the definition name, but everyone's an orphan who doesn't know Christ orphan from the kingdom of God. We need to get them in. So he stayed. Before I could get to, within a year of me seeing him in the Philippines, because I'm here in the States working, I get over there. He's already learned Tagalog and some English. I couldn't believe it. So we're playing soccer one day. And we got, everyone plays, the staff, everyone. So we got 100 people in the soccer field. We throw three balls out at a time. Yeah, it's great. Everybody's running up and down. It looks like it's crazy. It is, but everyone has a great time. 
and it's raining. We love to play in the rain there. And so over comes John Paul, and he sits right in my lap. He says, Daddy Tom, Tatai Tom. I said, yes, son, how are you? He said, I'm doing great. And now he's feeling out and getting strong. He speaks three languages now. He said, in his simple English, he said to me, uh, I'd like to tell you something. I said, sure. Daddy Tom, you're a good man. I said, well, now, why would you say that? He says, because you take care of orphans. And I said, you know, there's a, there's a definition in the Bible that says that very same thing. And I gave it to him. And he said, I also know that you're a very rich man, Daddy Tom. I said, I am a rich man. Is that okay? He said, it is okay. You know why? I said, why? He said, because you know how to use your money to help someone like me. I said, boy, you're learning a lot. He said, I also know something else. He said, I said, you love Jesus. I had one of my kids when they first came to the orphanage. You know what they asked me? Are you Jesus? I said, no, no, no. Just the beginning touches, but wait till you know Jesus. And John Paul was like that. And he said, you know Jesus, and it's Jesus that makes you so good. You think the kid went to theology school or something. <laughs> I said, thanks, John Paul, and how about you? He said, I've been waiting for you to come so that I could pray to know Jesus in, with you. I want you to pray with me to know Jesus. So in my lap, my little nine-year-old there now, eight-and-a-half, nine-year-old, he comes to Christ. My wife is over there with me. And we look at each other. Don't ever complain about orphans. We looked at each other. So we adopted a 52nd and a 53rd. Well, there'll probably be more. In fact, you know there was. We ended up starting four more orphanages. I don't want to say that so that you say, well, Tom's doing these great things. I want you to know that when you commit to a verse or a scripture in a way that God has a heart for, that he will bless it. And things can happen that you can never believe or understand. But I love this idea, Tarika, of orphanages and fostering. If you can do it, at least consider it. If you cannot, that's okay. Do something for someone who is. Or do something for a child who is in a foster home or who is an orphan. Just don't pass them by. That's all I'm saying. And the same thing for widows. Somebody just became a widow. I heard it up here today. Somebody did because somebody's husband died, right? That's somebody who needs to be prayed for and taken care of. My wife and I have a widow list. And I call them. Do you know it's one of the great ministries, widows? You're a church. Just do what that scripture says. You're probably already doing it all the time. I encourage you to keep doing it. I had a, our orphanage grew. One of the things that happens when you do this stuff is financially, you go, how am I going to do this? If I knew now what I, if I knew now back then, I probably wouldn't have been able to trust God to do it because I couldn't have believed all of the financial things he's done for us so that we could afford to raise these kids, let alone orphanages and camps. And medical clinics and all this other stuff. But here's some ways it happens. When we're building the orphanage, we get the kids out there helping us and then they go to school. Well, we start our own school so that they can go to school. And everybody in the area wants to come to our school because it's the best school. Because we have good teachers. And then another man comes along and he says, you know what, you need more food. I go, you're doggone right. You got a deal? He goes, yes. He said, that land out there, that 15 acres next to you, that's my farm. I'm going to give it to you because God said I should give it to you to take care of orphans and widows. I hire widows as my teachers if I need to. 
we got a whole piece of land. You know what the kids love? All my kids are farmers now. They know how to farm. They can raise pigs, butcher them, prepare them. They go through the whole piggery thing. We have uh, competitions between the girls' garden and the boys' gardens. Who gets the best stuff? And we get blue ribbons and awards and everything. <laughs> we grow rice. We grow enough rice that it covers all of our needs for the whole year. And then we pack bags on the back of the truck and we go and do feeding programs. And the kids come with us and they give their testimony. And they tell people, yeah, I'm a four orphan, but not from God. And I have a new father. His name's Tom. But I have even a better father in Christ Jesus, a Savior. My gosh, it's very effective. Can you imagine watching these kids come to Christ and then go out and share what they learned? So this guy shows up when we're building the building. He's an engineer. He said, Tomas, God asked me to come and help you on your orphanage. Are you a believer? He said, I am, and I'm out of work. I said, well, how many kids do you have? He said, I have three kids of my own and a wife, but right now they're okay with it. I'm going to come and help you build this orphanage, and eventually I'll get a job. So we prayed for him to get a job, and it turns out he starts building. Everybody comes to me. He said, Tom, this guy knows everything. So I said, June, come here. He comes over. He said, these guys tell me you know everything. He said, no, I don't know everything. He said, but you know the measurement of cement, how the codes, everything, how it should be built. You can save us. You're saving us money on how we build it. He goes, I am Tom, I'm an engineer by trade. I said, well, that's great that God sent us an engineer, a structural engineer. One day he didn't show up, and all our buildings are halfway done, and we don't know what to do. And so we start, I don't know how to build any. I couldn't build a doghouse. I can't build anything. And so I'm going, well, do the best you can. And after about a week, he shows up again. June comes up, and he's got this big smile. And I said, June, we've missed you. Are you back? And I gave him 100 pesos a day, which is $5, because I had to give him something for food for his family and stuff. And he comes up and he says, Tom, I got a job. I said, oh, fantastic. Oh, not so good. <laughs> he said, no, no, don't worry. I said, oh, I we got to finish these buildings. It's okay, though. You work. If you can just call us and tell us or tell us what to do. He says, no, I'm in on it. I said, how'd you get the job and what is it? He said, I'm the city engineer of all of Lucena. 280,000 people. I said, how'd you get that job? Oh, he said, my uncle, he just won the vice mayorship. <laughs> I said, well, that's great. He said, yeah, not only that, all of these trucks were in the street, big pickup trucks, dumps, dump trucks and stuff. I said, what's all that? He said, the first thing I asked my uncle, I got to work this last two weeks and I did all my work, got organized on the roads and everything, and I said, whatever we have that's left over, scrap or extra, could I give to your orphanage. And the mayor said, make sure you put my name that I donated that stuff. <laughs> and so we got all of our cement and our bars and our roof, all of it for free. And so the money that was sent over, we didn't build one building, we bought three buildings. We have a, we have a library, we have school, we extended the school. It's really fantastic. And you're going... You couldn't do this if you dreamed of it. Only God can do those type of things. But it starts off with what? A love for people, obedience to Scripture, and recognizing who gets the glory for it, and that's God. Man, love those orphans. Bless your heart, Tamika. You are, aren't you? Yeah, I bet. I can see the smile on your face. I get that same one. Now, I'll finish with my orphanage. Um, Started several others, and that was great. But when I travel around the country, I still try to find orphanages and orphans and kids that I can help. It just, it's just not that hard. There are a lot around, even in the States when I go around.
So I'm playing a game on the coast, and the missionaries come to me. Do you mind if I sat down? I guess not. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'm playing a game, and the missionaries come to me. Tom, we need your help. I said, that's what I'm here for. They said, there's an island over here. It's called Sikiho Island. I said, sure. I know the island. It's called Islas Nangdemonio. It means islands of the devils. And he said, you know all about it? I said, yeah. He said, I don't know about it. Nobody goes out there. He said, I said, they've got seven albularias or seven witch doctors that run the place. They said, there's no Christian church and no Christian message out there, Tom. I go, well, what are you going to do about it? They said, well, we thought we'd send you. <laughs> I said, well, why don't you go on out there? They said, Tom, we've tried. But listen, you have a special opportunity because this country is crazy about basketball and you play basketball. You do a halftime show that they will laugh at. You have a possibility of making a common ground relationship that we can't seem to get. We will follow up and help you if you could just get us in the door. Now, how do you refuse something like that? So I wrote to Australia and I said, I need a special group of guys. I need 10 guys that will sleep anywhere, eat anything, and not be afraid or live through their fear for two weeks. And we're going to go cover this island of Sikihor. And my friend from Australia says, I got the guys, I'll get them. And they came over, and these guys came with a heart for God. And they said, we'll do whatever you need to do, Tom. I said, we're going to play basketball three times a day, three games a day. We're going to drink whatever we can to keep going. We're going to eat whatever we can to keep going. We're going to sleep wherever we can. And we're going to do it for two weeks. And our only job is to make a common ground and some kind of an inroad for the, for the uh, family of God, for the work of God. <laughs> they said, Great, so we take the boat and we're on our way over. The mayor can't believe we're coming. The governor can't believe we're coming because nobody goes out there. So he comes and gets on the boat and rides across with us. And he's telling us, be careful about this, be careful about that. What, we're worried about this. I said, governor, you're running us off. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, let's, let's start positive. We got a game tonight under the lights. Let's start with that. He said, oh, it's going to be a big crowd. But Tom, our crowds can be kind of tough. I said, I understand. So we get to the pier and we're walking off the pier off the boat, and there's crowds out there watching us come because they don't believe we're coming. So I told the guys, wear your uniforms so they really know we are coming and playing basketball. So we're walking off our uniform, and there's a dead man on the pier. And I went, Governor, and everybody's going around him. Nobody's going within 10 feet of him. And I said, Mayor, Governor, what's the deal with the guy on the pier? He's dead. He said, oh, Tom, that's one of the arboleras, one of the witch doctors. And I know this is terrible, but I thought... Well, there's only six left now. <laughs> I know that's terrible, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. Then I went over and I said, but I don't care who he is. He, he has to be, we have to take him. Oh, Tom, nobody would touch that guy. The, you wouldn't know what would happen to you if you touched that guy. So I went up and touched him. I grabbed him, picked him up, put him on a, a little tricycle there. The guy wouldn't drive the tricycle, so I drove it, the motorcycle with the sidecar, and we took him off and buried him. And now they said, you are really in trouble because you touched one of the Abelera's, one of the witch doctors. Plus, they don't want you here. Boy, and nobody wanted to come close to me. So we went to the game, big game, big crowd. We start playing. Wow, they were really tough. There was a lot of vulgarity, a lot of screaming, anti-antagonism toward us. Beer, everybody's drinking, smoking pot, a lot of that. It was just a heavy, heavy, dark place. And... The, the violent nature of the other team, the way they were beating up my guys. So at halftime, they said, Tom, we knew. We said, you said not to complain, but we're getting killed out there. And this is only the first game. 
I said, just get me to the halftime, you guys, and I'll take it from there. Get me to the halftime. Because I was confident that my halftime, I could, you know, open them up a little. Well, halftime came. I went out. I started juggling my unicycle. I'm juggling my basketballs and tricks, spinning them, even on my nose. That usually gets them laughing. Nothing. And I got some nasty remarks from people. And I thought, this is the toughest crowd I've ever been in front of. I got on my tall unicycle. And I ran down. I was going to, I rode down. I'm going to dunk it. And so it just says I'm going to dunk it. A beer bottle came by my ear. One of those great big ones, you know, that has like uh, the size of three of our beer bottles. You know, great big one, San Miguel. It went right by my ear, hit me in the ear, and then splattered on the backboard and went everywhere. So I had beer all over me. And I said, that's it. That's it. I'm getting down. I'm done. And I was just about to get done and say, they can have this place. And the Lord just put it in my heart. He said, you coward. Did it hit you? Are you hurt? Are you just merely embarrassed? Are you worried about the cost? I said, I'll go one more time. So I went down to the other end. I got down and I took the boy. And this is how I always finish. I take a boy and I put him on my shoulders. And all the boys ran. But this one boy kept standing there looking at me. And so I grabbed him. And I put him on my shoulders. And he looked at me and said, Please don't drop me. And I said, I'm not going to drop you. And we're talking back and forth to God again. Suddenly, the crowd went quiet, just like you are right now. You, nothing. And the first time they were quiet since I arrived on the island, I'm going, so we're talking back and forth, and they're still not saying anything. And then they're starting to point and whisper. We went around and around, laughed and everything. I got down. I gave him a T-shirt. He put the T-shirt on. It has my picture on the back and everything. He's so thrilled. I sign it, and he stands right next to me. I offer the gospel. I tell him, if you want to sign up for a Bible study course, here's how you do it. He stood right there, pulled the pen out of my pocket, signed up his. This boy is like 9 or 10 years old. Signs it in what language and wants to give it to me. I said, I haven't even got to that part yet, son. His name was Solomon. Solomon, he goes, I'm ready. You know what really got him? Is during my message, I told everybody about John 1.12. If you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God. And Solomon had no family. He lost his family in the great earthquake. All of them died. He was the only one outside. And here's the other thing. Solomon had not spoken a word since that happened four years earlier. Not one word to anybody. And so when he got him, they didn't think he spoke. But I said, hey, he's speaking to me. And the man, the governor says, yeah, that's why everybody can't believe it. God used that boy to impact that crowd in such a way that we didn't have any more antagonism. And you know what he said? Tom, can I go with you to all the 13 towns you're going to? I'll be your rider. I said, you're doggone right you will. You come with me. And I took that orphan. I took him with me and I used him immediately. Within three days, he was giving his testimony in front of everybody. I got to shorten it because we're done on time. But listen to this. There are no longer seven arbolarios. No more seven on Sikihor. But there is a Christian church. It's a big one. And it's got a number of sister churches. And the pastor of that church, now 15, 20 years later, is Solomon. Yeah. You, you give to orphans. I think I made my case. I could be it. I love orphans. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, Solomon, for John Paul, Mary Rose. Thank you for Tamika, for her heart. Help us to help her a bit, if we can. And help all of us, Lord, to 
recognizing these days of foreigners and widows and orphans and immigration arguments that uh, you reach beyond all borders, that we offer is free, not restricted, and that is a life in Christ, a part of the family of God, a citizen of heaven. And we thank you that we are allowed to be that because we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.